Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, young and old and everything in between, welcome to the Joe Feed Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Barbito. Today, I continue to chronicle the lives and experiences of line cooks that make the restaurant industry what it is. Today's guest is a recent transplant to Chicago from Denver, where he worked at several restaurants, including the Denver Milk Market. He's been a great addition to our team at Gadabout and has been a calming presence with plenty of insight that someone like myself can learn from. Today, I'm joined by fellow Gadabout line cook, Joel Perez. Joel, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for having me on. Should I say bienvenidos? Bienvenidos, yes. Perfect. Yes. Uh, happy to have you here today, Joel. Um, you, I guess, so when did you move to Chicago? Was it April? Uh, yes, I moved here about April 6th, I believe. Yeah. Cool. Well, you know, we're obviously at the restaurant. We've been very happy to have you. You've been a really cool addition to the team. You bring a lot to the table. Um, and, you know, today I want to kind of let you, you know, tell your story about, you know, how you got into cooking and how you ended up where you are today. Um, so I like to start kind of at the beginning, um, when yeah. you were younger, do you have like any kind of seminal food memories, you know, like the first time you bit into something or the first time your mom made something and you were like, wow, this is really cool. Or this tastes great. I don't have a specific memory of something like that. Like I bit into something. I just have fond memories of a lot of the food we ate, uh, all the time. So, cause we, uh, Puerto Rico, we do a bunch of, uh, food dreams. Festive times, you know, uh, Christmas, uh, Thanksgiving, you mentioned it. We need no excuse to have a party, you know. Um, so it, usually in those gatherings, we use, uh, used to have a lot of rice and beans. Uh, we made different styles. You know, you might have a big rice dish that had pigeon peas inside, made with a little of tomato paste and herbs, you know, and other things in there. Achote sometimes. Uh, a lot of plantains. You know, we eat a lot of uh, tostones. Uh, amarillos, which is what we call uh, when the plantain has gotten sweeter, riper. Uh, we do those smash as well. We might do uh, like a little smash with them or just fry them. You know, they're, they're real good. Blood sausage is a big part of our culture as well. We do it with rice as well. Uh, herbs, pig blood, same old method, but we fry it most of the times. Uh, down in Puerto Rico, we have a lot of uh, African influences from when Spain first came over and brought a lot of slaves. So we have a lot of fried foods. Um, we do a ton of stews as well. Uh, our beans basically is a stew on its own. You know, it's it's such a composed dish because it has so many things. It has bell peppers, onions, you know, uh, sofrito, which is basically our condiment of what mirepoix is for uh, French. You know, it's our basis. It's our foundation. It's what we start in uh, most of most of our dishes with. Um, but the beans itself, you know, you make you, you have to start the whole stew. You you, you do your sofrito. You do your vegetables. You you sweat all that. You add your liquids. You might do chicken stock. You might do beef stock. You might just make your own stock. Um, you add uh, pumpkin to that and other uh, sp uh, species and uh, bay leaves and whatnot. And it's, you know, it's so many flavors just for your beans that, you know, it, it's very memorable when you have that for the first time. Uh, it's very good food. You know, I, I miss not having it as constantly, even though here in Chicago, you can find quite a bit of it. Is that like something that you might make on like a Sunday or how often would you have something like that growing up? Uh, we would have that all the time. Uh, basic, you know, Monday to Friday, we made a lot of rice. You know, sometimes you make a bunch. Um, 
it's not rise is not a good thing to reheat most of the times but we do have use plays for it afterwards just like uh fried rice we do the same thing with, with beans you know we throw some rice in a pan and add our beans and all the other stuff and just toss that all together and that's basically almost a meal on its own add add some meat and you know you got yourself a, a feast almost so puerto rican fried rice is uh rice and beans it sounds like oh yeah we have a name for it it's a uh, mampo so okay. it's basically yeah you do your rice it's usually cold rice it's always always that you throw rice in a pot you want to have colders because the the action of cooking it it's always going to overcook it if you have it hot so you throw that cold, uh, you might st uh, start with a little um, achote, which we do in uh, an oil out of. It's a seed. So we might add more vegetables to that. Start with your oil, throw in your rice, saute that for a bit, add your beans. And sometimes we'll add some of that, uh, the amarillos, which is the plantain, the sweet plantain. So you have your sweet and sour going on. So it's a, it's a real good dish. So were you always planning on getting into food i think you you went to college for like computer science or something right um what what point did food start to become your career well i started computer science when i was around 21 i think i was because i started through uh elect electronics i believe it was uh first got into electronics did a year of that moved to computer science spent about a year and a half and it you know i understood most of it was doing my classes, we were doing well, but at the same time, I wasn't having any much fun. Uh, and at the same time, some of my friends uh, were taking that, you know, most of my 20s, I spent traveling. So they, they would used to travel all the time. So I just decided that I got into a bunch of different jobs uh, in, in during my 20s. So I could just spend my most of the time traveling. You know, I, I went through Europe. We went to uh, some places here in the uh, United States. Uh, we went to the Caribbean, a few islands as well. We We, we went through so many places that I just jumped from place to place. Eventually, after I, I was done with most of that, um, I had moved out of my uh, parents' house. And uh, of course, you need to start uh, feeding yourself, you know, and uh, not wanting to buy something all the time. I would just start practicing in my house, you know, getting into it. Because when I was younger, I would never really get into cooking because most of the time in Puerto Rican kitchens, you know, uh, the the older you are, the more you cook, you know, it's like people that are older would enjoy the act of cooking, you know, they would get up real early, start, start doing their stuff, you know, planning what they're going to do, eventually start their stews or, or their rices and get everything ready. So at younger people wouldn't much interact with that unless you, you know, got their priority, wanted to see how it was done, but you, they wouldn't necessarily trust you with doing any of that for the uh, big activities at least. So it wasn't until I um, uh, I didn't have my mother around or my father that I decided, you know, I'm going to get more a little bit more into cooking. And little by little, I just, you know, fell in love with it, you know. So you're you're younger. You're not allowed to be in the kitchen for like a gathering. They're just going to shoot you out. So you, you can't do this. <laughs> nah, not really. They don't really shoot you out. But there was never that interaction of them saying, hey, you want to like. You want to learn how to cook any of this because by the time you would grab them doing things they were already you know started hours ago or you know they, they already had their plan going so it wasn't more of uh you know stand around i'm going to teach you how to do this it's more like hey you can see what's going on you can try what's around but you never you never got that invitation to like be 
part of the uh, cooking experience during those times. So then you took it upon yourself. You, you get older, you realize that you're tired of eating out. You are capable. You have two hands. You start cooking for yourself. That's it. Uh, I started cooking for myself. Simple. You know, I started to do a few recipes I saw. And little by little, I, I don't know what it was, but every time it was a challenge. But at the same time, the result was good. And every time you could make it even better. So you, I would make my meals for the week because I used to work back then in uh, one of the places I worked was Party City. And uh, you get a like seven to five job, you know, and all they have around you is these fast food places which, which get old real quick. So, you know, you're thinking about, you know, what, what am I going to do? I'm going to start bringing my own food so I can save some money, whatnot. Uh, and, you know, you start getting into it. And every every day is like, oh, what did you bring? And, and the people around you do the same thing. You say, hey, man, that smells real good. What you bring to today? And you start talking about it. You get more into it. You do it more frequently. You know, it, it becomes a passion, just like uh, anything you like very much. It, it becomes a passion. And it's not until you start working that it becomes less of a passion. <laughs> But even then, you know, it's uh, it was uh, it was real interesting for me, and I and I liked how you can uh, modify it or do whatever you want and just come up with something you would like personally. Do you remember what some of those early meals were that you were making for yourself when you were working at Party City? Like, did you have a favorite like lunch to bring every day? No, actually, no. I would just like I would specifically like to try new things, so I would do maybe one pasta one day. There was a good time by the end of it that I changed to being vegetarian for about, I did it for about three years. It, let's say vegetarian. I started vegetarian, ended up pescatarian just because I added fishes to that. But I would start working with what vegetables can I do work with and not have any meat and still, you know, feel fulfilled by the end of the meal. But no, I tried about everything, man. We, we, we have a bunch of things. Uh, there's a dish in Puerto Rico we make that's called uh, Serenata de Bacalao, which is basically like translated into English is a uh, serenade of uh, cod. That's what it's called. So y- you serve that with uh, cassava. So it's yuca. That's what we call it. So you got a hearty, a hearty uh, root vegetable that you serve with your, uh, I want to say we made the cod in vinegar. So it's... Uh, it's escovich, you can call it. So it had bell peppers, onions, uh, avocados. You know, it was kept real fresh, uh, real bright uh, lemon and vinegar. And and you just add that to your uh, yuca, which was, you know, cassava is great. Uh, and it was great, man. And one of those meals that even make it, it's easy to make. And uh, it's, it's just so fulfilling as well. So... You've you got your time at Party City. You're starting to realize that you enjoy making these meals for yourself. How soon after Party City are you like, you know what I should do? I should become a restaurant industry professional. Uh, it took a while because uh, I moved on to do other things. I worked in theater for a while. I had a connection with that brought me in, and we did uh, lights for events. Uh, so I did Spotlight. We rigged everything up. We broke everything down. Did a few Miss Universes and whatnot. Uh, in that time, that's right. You I, did I, Miss Universe pageants. Yeah, <laughs> forgot about this. Wait, you got to tell me something about Miss Universe pageants. Well, there's nothing very special about it because, uh, from what you know, the technician side of it, you don't see much of it. You know, you just see it. You just put it all together. You don't see it, almost anybody till the rehearsals. So, if if they have any, they don't always have rehearsals. Um, 
you would spend the whole day because it was a televised show, of course. So it was all the same day. So it, it was real fast, a, a lot of hours. Uh, so you would you wouldn't very much pay attention to it. And by the time everybody was on stage, you were not on stage. You were up in the rafters doing spotlight or something else. So you know, it wasn't you know it was one of those events that happened once a year that was uh, very hectic, you could call it. But other than that, you know, nothing nothing very fun about it. We didn't see anybody interesting or anything. So what age were you when you got your first restaurant job? Um, mm-hmm. I became a waiter at an Asian bistro, they called it. Um, I started working as a runner. Uh, in this place specifically, we had a position that basically went to the kitchen, you know, grabbed the plates, dropped them on the tables, picked up any uh, loose dishes, uh, had to clean the bathroom sometimes, you know, just random odd jobs. My first restaurant job, so I just started from the bottom basically. Depends. You could say the dishwasher was a lower position, I guess, but never had to do that specifically on its own. Of course, we all wash dishes. You know, anybody that works in a restaurant has to wash dishes. Um, but I started off there. Uh, I was in the kitchen, so I saw the kitchen team work and uh, saw what they can make. They also had like a sushi section, so I talked a lot with the sushi chefs. You can see the contrast between the Chinese chefs and the uh, sushi chefs uh, that were mostly Puerto Rican. The Chinese chefs, oh, clearly. The hotline chef were Chinese. And uh, it was a different style altogether, but you could see the contrast of uh, what one one like one culinary place, uh, like sushi comes from Japan, of course, and how their influence is done in the kitchen and how meticulous they are. And uh, you can see how it's so way uh, in so many ways it's different from the Chinese, which is a lot, a lot of sauces, uh, a lot of woks, um, a lot of fried food, rices. And, uh, it was, uh, it was a very good place to learn about food. If as my first restaurant job, it was a rich place to get to learn. Cause I had to memorize all the j- dishes, uh, see where they were from, um, understand what, by the, by then sushi was a, you could say a relatively new thing to the island. Uh, we didn't we didn't see it anywhere. It, it was mostly in the Chinese or Japanese restaurants. So, getting to know that, seeing what that all entailed and uh, what the ingredients were, was uh, beneficial to me a lot. You know, I love uh, sushi and Japanese food in general. Um, I respect a lot their culinary uh, and their mentality altogether. You know, um, they are very focused and they want to in a way, be perfect at what they are, even though they might strive to be perfect and not reach it, at least they, uh, you know, they, they get real close to it. And it's uh, admirable to see how they uh, approach anything, not even in, in the kitchens, but anything they, they put their mind to. So that was my first uh, restaurant job. I did, moved up. Uh, I was a runner, then a server. Um, as a server, I had to do mushu pork, uh, table side. So we had this dish that they get, well, they would call pancakes, but mostly look like tortillas. So you would get all your duck or pork all in the vegetables, all mixed up and everything. So they would give us these utensils that we had to go to the table, like grab from the meat, drop it on the pancake, flip it all together, put it on a dish put it on the plate and in no instance to use their hands, only the utensils you are using, you know, it was, it was an experience for sure. Uh, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh, after that, um, I moved on to another restaurant, uh, did about two more. And eventually by that third one, 
I definitely decided that I wanted to be behind the line. I, I felt like it it interested me a lot more. Even when I was a waiter, I was always looking, up, you know, peeking my head over to see how they did things because I was so interested in it. Um, and the restaurant I was in, I had, you know, applied to be part of the line and uh, they didn't have an opening at the time. So I was just looking and looking. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to start. I'm going to start studying. So I'm going to use the, whatever I can to start my classes and see how the, uh, where that takes me. So eventually I just um, reduced my hours and started studying and doing waiting at the same time. Uh, and little by little, I faded out and moved into uh, cooking. I'm still hung up on the, the mushu pork without <laughs> your hands because I've done you know, mushu pork and I've done Peking duck before, you know, like restaurants and like, how the hell do you fold the little burrito with yeah, a spoon? Yeah. I... No, there's a, uh, there's like this little, I guess, uh, claw technique you could say, uh, but you use two spoons, big spoons. These are uh, big wide spoons that you would use on each hand. Um, but you would grab them almost like chopsticks. So you would use one for the meat. You would, Believe me, this took some time. You know, we practiced this before you ever got to the table. Uh, you would practice doing this, even as a runner. Sometimes if you were waiting for something, you would use towels. So you would use the, you grab the spoons and start folding towels and see how that worked. Uh, but eventually you would get a good grip on it and you could, you know, you move pretty quickly because uh, you had to sauce it first. You got to put your hoisin. You got to put your uh, meat on top of that and then fold it. Not Not like a burrito, of course, but all three sides and then flip it over so that, it, that you don't have, you, you have the uh, folded side on the bottom. So you do like three to four burritos and you pass it over, you know? So you spend this time, you start to realize that front of house is not where it's at. Back of house is where the magic's happening. That's the action. You want to be part of that. Um, how, how did that transition happen? So you, you mentioned going to school and studying. How did you end up uh, behind the line for the first time? Well, I, be, I began doing those classes at the same time as uh, doing uh, the position of waiter. And um, I want to say six months into my culinary endeavor, uh, one of the guys that was there was a restaurant owner. Uh, he was doing it to further his knowledge, of course, and maybe even consider himself a chef eventually after he finished because he was doing most of the planning and uh, uh, trying to do the menu and everything, but without having the culinary background. So he, he decided, you know, I'm going to take some classes, see how where it goes. Like six months into it, um, I believe my chef called me over, uh, the one who was uh, leading the class. And he asked me, hey, do you, are, where are you working right now? Are you, are, are you interested in doing a, a uh, line position? And I was like, hey, you know, I'm interested. That's the whole reason I'm here. Uh, I'm trying to get better, see where this can take me. I would be, you know, I would be very interested in doing a, uh, as uh, I told him, as long as it doesn't mess with this, what they we're doing right now, I'm totally into it, you know? And he, at the time, he, he was doing odd jobs as a um, advisor as the, to, to restaurant owners. So he would tell them, you know, what the menu should be, uh, figure out the costing, do give them an idea of how many employees they need, what what hours they should open. So he's, he was doing it for this guy that was in the class as well. And he saw that, you know, from the people that were there, I was uh, the, one of the more serious, you know, more into what I was doing. So he called me already, he offered me the job. I just immediately took it, talked with the owner, um, quit my job 
over at the restaurant. You know, literally, I think I went the same day and I told him, hey, put in my notice right now. I'm done. <laughs> and I started cooking. Uh, that first job, it, the restaurant was called uh, Flor de Parcha, which means uh, flower of passion fruit. Uh, we were doing um, lunch at that time because it's a university town. So the university that we have, the biggest one, well, the biggest um, publicly owned university in Puerto Rico, uh, we were real close to that one. So it was the university of the government, you could say, you know, it was the cheapest one you could get. Uh, but it was also the one that was most uh, populated, I would say. Uh, it had a lot of uh, students enrolled and a lot of people lived like right around it. You know, it was a very college town. So our hours of lunch were our biggest hours. Not only because of the students, there was a lot of uh, like, uh, what am I looking for? The like faculty and staff. Yeah, no, uh, government-owned buildings is what I'm looking for. Um, uh. the, there were government-owned buildings around there, so like electrical and all these other places that had their lunch hour, and they were looking for something real close. So that lunch hour was very big for that town, and that and, you know around that area. So we started doing that, and that's when I got my first experience at you know what a kitchen was and what a rush was and how to do all these things, you know. So what was on the menu at this restaurant? Oof, that was an interesting one because uh, when I got on, we were, we barely had started, you know. We were still getting into it, so we decided to do a rotating menu. So we had a menu change every week. Some of the things did transfer over. So we kept maybe four of the items, changed four to five of them. So we had like a 10 to 12 um, item menu. And we offered these uh, uh, menu specials. So on the menu, we would have different things as as I mentioned before, as Puerto Ricans, we love our stews. So we did have some of the things that were on hotline. So some of them were easy serve. Other ones did require technique and uh, to use the stovetop or fryers or grill. We had a grill as well. Uh, we had, for meats, we had churrasco, which is a skirt steak. In my opinion, one of the best cuts you could find. And done on the grill is, you know, the best way to do it. You know, it's just so soft. It has, you know. So it's uh, tender, it's juicy, it, it, it just it encompasses what's so great about me, you know? It's all, all the good stuff, you know? And uh, being on the grill just gave it more flavor, and it, it was real good. Other than that, we had lamb chops, we had um, pork belly for a while. We did roba vieja, which is a stew, which is a Cuban dish. That it's a uh, pork shoulder, if I'm not mistaken right now. You can use different cuts, but mostly pork shoulder. And you would make a stew out of that. It mostly had um, olives and uh, onions and uh, a lot of cilantro, uh, achiote as well. It's a very good dish. A very good dish. That first kitchen was a very good experience because since the owner was so understanding and he was also learning, he gave us a lot of freedom, a lot of freedom. You know, uh, we would sit down every Friday and talk about next menu, uh, next week's menu. We would consider what we could what we could keep, what ideas we should move on to, what wasn't working. At the beginning we started with sandwiches and realized completely we would we, we should we cannot do sandwiches. You know, it's not it's not viable. It's not, you know, the price point is not really there. And uh it's not something most of the people come looking for, uh, at least in Puerto Rico. Yeah. So it really sounds like you got exposed to a lot of different techniques, a lot of ingredients. And for a first place it really gave you what sounds like a good foundation kind of for the rest of your career. 
Yeah, most definitely did. Uh, we had to take care of uh, all of our prep. So little by little, I started taking on without even knowing because, you know, in such a small kitchen, it, we ran the line with three people. And one of those persons had to do dishes at the same time. We would rotate, of course. You know, we would all do dishes. And by the end of it, when we closed down, we all did dishes. But um, we had to plan everything for the next day. And we were all, literally all of us were students at the school. Most of us. I think only one of them was not. He had already graduated, but had been to the same school, you know. So we were all fresh to the line, you could say. And um, we had to figure it out, man. We had to figure it out, see, like, create our own systems. Um, that first month, I think I bought these... Uh, dry eraser boards and put them on uh, like different places. One of them was like prep many our prep list. I fill that out every day. Uh, we make other ones with ideas of things what we wanted to do. Um, and uh, we had to figure out all of our storage and all of our, uh, all the techniques we wanted to use for the restaurant. You know, it was good. Uh, we learned a lot a, a midway through it. He opened up a uh, catering business. So one of the guys that was with me all the time, you know, by the time was my, you know, my biggest buddy online because we we came up together, we studied together, we we were and we tried to be in the most of the groups at squads in the same group because we knew each other and we complimented each other. Um, and they pulled him away to do most of those catering side so to like take care of the most of the restaurant. And yeah, yeah, we got we got our ass kicked, but we we learned so much. So this was in Puerto Rico. The last place you worked before you came to Chicago was in Denver. How did you end up? you know, however many thousand miles away in a place where the climate is not that similar to where you were from. Yeah, um, 2015, I want to say. Uh, Puerto Rico had two Category 5 hurricanes, one after the other, like literally three weeks apart or two weeks apart, I can't remember. It, yeah, it we did a number, man. That was, uh, it was huge. Living in the Caribbean, you, you, you get used to hurricanes. Um, it's not that you know, you're you're inviting them to come by or anything, but you you know where you live and you know what happens. So you know, we got saved by a bunch because uh, during my lifetime, I lived 30 years in Puerto Rico, and I think I went through like four or five bad ones. You know, so it's not it doesn't happen all the time, but when it does, you you remember it. You know, you know you know where you were, you know what you did, and you know how it was to get through that. You know, um, so we had these. This first category five, we were without electricity for about a week, no water for about two or three days. Uh, gas uh, gas station lines were two or three hours long, four or five hours long, you know, depending on what day. Because most living in, in an island, you have a backup generator. So you, you need your gas to keep it going. Uh, so we got the first one. Second one comes around. It totally decimates us, you know, literally... Puerto Rico is a vibrant, uh, you know, like rainforest, you could call it. Uh, we have one of the uh, biggest rainforests in the Caribbean. So most anywhere you look, it's green. You know, it's it's green, it's luscious, you know, it's uh, maybe a little brown somewhere. But after that hurricane, it, it was all brown. You know, all you could see was trees, no leaves. Uh, we didn't have uh, water for about two weeks, I want to say. Uh, ice was a commodity you, you couldn't even get. Because we didn't have electricity either, um, it was it was hard. it was rough. It was real rough. Uh, sleeping at night in such a humid place was uh, real hard. If you didn't have your uh, plant go your 
yeah, the uh, any electricity, you would just see like sweat the whole night, you know. So once that happened, um, we, me and my wife, back then she was my girlfriend. Uh, we we found ourselves thinking, you know, what what should we do? You know, uh, I was on the verge, you know, of uh, starting a. Uh, I had my business plan to see if I got my food truck. I was, you know, in, invested in trying to get a food truck going. Um, in Puerto Rico, it's a, a very good business because uh, there's no winter. You know, you, there's not a stage where you don't use your food truck. You know, you can, you can use it year long. So it was a good idea. Uh, we had a menu going. We we had some uh, government helps that were we would uh, apply for, but all that you know got on pause for a very long time because uh, once that happened, the government you know shut down for a very good time. So we were found ourselves in a position like, hey, what what do we want to do? You know, and uh, since we didn't have kids, uh, we didn't have any huge student debts that held us back. We just decided, you know, maybe we we should move to the states and uh, further, you know. Either our careers uh, in either way we could, you know, um, for me, it's real easy, you know, working in the kitchen, you can find a job anywhere. She is a graphic designer and she's real good at it. Um, so she could find a job just about anywhere as well, I could say. And we had some friends over in Colorado. Uh, that's all it took, literally, because uh, I have family in Florida and, you know, I'm not going to say anything against Florida, but it's not my cup of tea. So I decided, like, this is not an option. <laughs> Anything else. And I've been to New York City and New York City is great, but it's the hustle and bustle is just way too much. You know, it's a it's a very fast place, uh, fast paced place. So I'm not interested in that. So I was like for like a happy medium, like where, where can I go to at least, you know, expand my culinary um, career and see where it can take me. And at the same time, not not it be one of uh, too busy of a place. Uh, too much of a rush that I, I they just throw you in there and not give you time to like learn so having a friend there we decided to move over um i went first um i lived three months out of an airbnb it was uh <laughs> it was an experience yeah yeah it was uh it was fun you know uh i don't mind since i mentioned before i've traveled the world a lot uh we spent me and my brother spent over a month in europe so we know what it is to live, live out of a briefcase you know and just go from place to place all the time so the part about staying from Airbnb to Airbnb wasn't hard at all. Um, getting to know new people, you know, getting a job was real quick too. So that, that was no issue. Um, I, I think I acclimated pretty quickly. Um, of course, it's super different, Puerto Rico. So it, it brought in an, uh, a bunch of new challenges and, uh, and some other stuff, you know. It's, uh, it's very different, you know. It was, it, was, it's, it was real fun. So you make the transition, you move to Denver, you live out of the suitcase, you find the job, you start getting settled in. Um, at that point, what are you hoping to get out of being in Denver? So outside of just not being, you know, worrying about the hurricane issues, what are you now hoping to actually accomplish? I, I personally took it as a learning experience. Um, I have, from you, from when I started, um, you always start reading and you see people that go to France and, you know, they, they, they study under some chef or this or that, or they gain their experience, some type of kitchen, you know, I wanted to do something similar. You know, I wanted to see different kitchens, you know, you can't really learn until you're in there. So I wanted to see what these restaurants would uh, teach me, you know, because coming from Puerto Rico, at least, you know, you, like I mentioned, I started in a place that 
you know, we were just starting. So I, there was nobody specifically I could learn from. Nobody I could say, hey, you know, this person has a lot of experience. I, I'll just, you know, catch his ear and see what, what he has to say or uh, what he can teach me just by looking, you know. Um, so I, I felt like I was lacking in that experience from other people, seeing what others could teach me. Uh, aside from culinary school where you see other people, but they're also learning. And even though you do get a chef, uh, he's there for a reason and he's not going to, teach you everything he knows because, you know, you got to continue your curriculum or not. He'll just give you a trick here and there. So, so my, my goal was to expand myself, you know, my culinary uh, experience so far. Ultimately you get to a point where you're a sous chef. How did you make that transition and what appealed to you about the idea of being in a leadership position in the kitchen after years of working as a line cook? Eventually my first restaurant in uh, Colorado was a place called Euclid Hall. So I started there and it's uh, it's another scratch kitchen because we used to do everything from scratch over the place before I used to be at. Um, so I get to learn all these other things. Um, they had a big butchery program. They would bring half pigs in, break them down, you know, play some metal and just break those pigs down. Uh, they would do their own sausages. They would uh, make their own patties. Uh, we had a lamb patty and a, a pork patty. I forget the name of it, but it was made with beer. Uh, we made pork, beer, and some uh, other condiments and whatnot in there. Uh, that was real good. Uh, but eventually, it got to the point where um, I wanted to uh, learn from uh, one of my chefs that was there at the moment. And he offered me the position as uh, a sous chef under him. And I was more than happy to take it. You know, I wanted to move on to that next step aside from just doing prep and uh, working the line to see you know, more, what more of the creative side he could teach me. So what was that, what was that like getting the exposure to a chef that close and getting uh, experience on that creative side? How, how did that go for you? It went pretty good, man. At the beginning, it was real nice. Um, it was hard. I'm not going to say it's not hard. You know, you, you, you work long hours. Um, you are eventually, you know, your, your salary. So gets to the point you stop being on the on the clock and people just don't want you out of there and then you're you're on salary so people want you there all the time um it was it was challenging uh i would get there sometimes you know depending on my shift because we had opening mid and uh, close but that mid or uh close chef had to get there by two and uh start working on special immediately if he didn't already you know have time to do it the day before uh, so, you know, you it was almost like a little version of uh, Chop Kitchen, you know, getting into work and, okay, what do I got? You know, I got these uh, vegetables, I got this piece of meat, uh, what, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So it, it, it helps you, you get under pressure, but at the same time, you know, you start realizing from your background, what have you done already? What, what are you comfortable with? What, what meals would you like to, for people to experience? And you start, you know, learning more about, different cuisines and uh what you want to mess around with um it was good the first few months were uh tough but informative you know i learned a lot eventually the uh chef team changed just like any restaurant you know things change um and the dynamic changed with it so eventually it, it didn't seem as appealing or it wasn't as well it's never going to be real fun all the time but it wasn't as fun as i wanted it to be you know i didn't get to do the things i wanted and it was more managing and uh keeping people online hiring and uh doing all these other stuff that you know doesn't really fulfill you as a chef it just it's just part of your job and you have to do it anyway 
Um, so once that came around, it's when I started to uh, think about moving on to another place and seeing if I could learn from, you know, another line, uh, line, uh, line cook position and see, move my, move my way up there. Uh, but it was good, man. I, I, I did a bunch of things. I did a bunch of plates, put them on the menu. Um, I had a close relationship with the, uh, the chef team because it was a locally owned um, restaurant. Uh, it was owned by Jen Jasinski. Uh, she's a, a chef known in Colorado, uh, in the Denver area. She has about four restaurants. It's a team of chefs, of course. It's not only hers. Uh, worked with Jarrell Pierce, who was the uh, culinary, uh, how do you call that? The director? Hmm. Yes, exactly. He was a culinary director for the whole company. So he would jump from one restaurant to the other, depending on what he was needed. At that time, literally when I uh, first applied, they had the chef before him. Uh, they had fired that guy. He wasn't doing a very good job, apparently. So I came into a, a, a shift, into a, a transition into which they were more motivated to make good food and uh make themselves known again because they were already known in uh, Colorado for a while. Um, so I had a real good team. And uh, that first, that, those first six months where I was just doing prep and uh, working the line, the, the team was real good. Uh, there was a lot of ex experience on that line. Literally like three of them are chefs right now in different places. And uh, I learned a lot from them, you know, and having them on the line, even though it was real busy, because it was a gastropub, so we, it was more focused on their drinks, but at the same time, we made a lot of good food to go along with it. Uh, it got real busy during game time, because we were real close to uh, the basketball arena. Um, by the time the game would end, you know, we got all that rush right around 11, 12, you know. So you, you would have a second rush at the end of the game, and it was uh, it was uh, very challenging, but at the same time, Time was fun because you had all those people on the line that you could uh, learn from. You know, you could you could see them making great food and then just, you know, also having a good time while doing it. And then I think your your last role before you moved out here is with the milk market, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> after I left that one, I, I worked three years as a line cook on another place. Same company. I just moved around. I told them that, uh, I, I didn't want to work as much hours. Cause I want to spend more time with my wife. By then we got married. Uh, we got married in Colorado. Uh, I want to spend more time with her. So I, I moved on to a, uh, blessedly I moved on to a seven to four job, which is uh, in the kitchen. It's not as easy to find. Uh, but I love the mornings. I literally, I was there by, eventually I, I made the shift change and I, I was, I was there by 6am just because I preferred to be there earlier, you know, I would, because I would open the line and uh, I would do so much, so many things before we were even open uh, that I would prefer to have a bunch of hours before it and just do all those things. Uh, but I worked there for about three years and eventually like everything, uh, the chef team changed uh, the chef that was there when I started, he opened a new place and he, and he went to do on his own thing, which is cool. He, it was a real nice place. But you know everything's shift, and I didn't feel as comfortable anymore. And I just and um, by the end of it, uh, we had somebody come by for the chef position because for a while we only had uh, a chef and a sous chef, and uh, it was more it was a better practice to have two chefs in that restaurant, even though it was r real small. You need to have two because you can't have just two people doing. We had more uh, AM and PM shifts, so you know divide up. 
through two uh, chefs, it means seven days for one, seven days for the other, or, you know, doing doubles every other day. And it's like, that's, you know, you can't do that. They relied on me a lot uh, at the beginning. I would, that's why I would open and no chef would be there to like 12 or 1 PM sometimes. Cause I could take care of the, of the mornings, you know, I, you know, I got used to it and I get real good at it. So they, they didn't have to be on me or just even, you know, check on me that much. Cause I could, I would have it all ready and, you know, have it going by, by 11 all by myself. We, we were a two man line cause the top uh, restaurant. So it wasn't a big line ever. So we would have max three people on the line. So it didn't need a lot of people to uh, get it going, but uh, it got real busy. It got real busy. It was a tight spot, and you know, you knew you had to know how to dance on that line. Um, but eventually, like I said, moved on. Uh, had differences with the hires they were making, and uh, I wasn't very comfortable with the positions that were over me. But eventually, one of the chefs that came through, uh, her name was Jamie. Uh, she was real good, man. She only was there only there for like two months, and in those shit, I don't even think it was two months. I would think it might have been like three weeks. And in those like three weeks, we bonded so much, and we 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 understood each other uh, real well, and we we just vibed. You know, we we understood uh, things about the kitchen. We had same mentality, uh, same discipline, and uh, and same drive. You know, we just wanted to make good food and have fun just doing it. That when I decided to move on, she was uh, she she was going to be the exec chef over at the milk market. And uh, she invited me over. Well, I went over and asked her, hey, you know, you got any positions open? I'm not looking to start anything too high. You know, whatever you got, I just want to be under. Uh, you know, I, I know when I see a good chef uh, that I should at least, you know, try to be work with that type of uh, mentality. Uh, being a team with like-minded people is what I mean. So she was my first stop. And she said, you know, I'll, I'll take you, you know, hands down anytime, whenever you want. So uh, I started there initially, we, I was just going to be a kitchen manager. And she said, nah, you're not going to be the kitchen manager. You're going to be not so much my sous chef. It's like, okay, that's fine. I don't care. Uh, so I went back to working about 50 to 60 hours a week. And uh, it was fun, man. Milk market was, it was a beast. Uh, it was uh, owned by uh, Bonanno. Um, it's Frank, Frank Bonanno. He has around 26 restaurants, I want to say. He is from Colorado. He's well known there. He's uh, he he's made a an imprint in uh, Colorado. Uh, he, he he's made the company known. Um, but under that one, uh, there's eleven restaurants under one roof, and it was only one team of chefs that was in charge of all of it. And from going from a three man to two man line to a restaurant that required twenty to thirty employees in at the same time, it was a huge difference, you know. And not only that, they did a little bit more things other than the restaurants. They did catering and they did uh, Thanksgiving meals, uh, uh, Christmas meals and all this. And there wasn't a team to do any of that. That was us, literally us. So it was it was a lot. At the beginning, it was very, very stressful because it was also on a, like, in a transition period where a lot of the chefs were moving on. And also they were like cleaning house from all the people that weren't really working out. So the whole team was a shakeover. And uh, at, at a point, it was just her and me on the chef team for so many employees. So it was very stressful, but it got a lot better. Uh, we uh, we were working on making a system and uh, creating a culture 
And it, it, by by the end of it, man, it was it was beautiful. It was a beautiful thing to see. A, a lot of people working together. Very happy to be there. Um, in the kitchen, as you may know, uh, there's a very strong Spanish working uh, workforce. Uh, they, you know, most of it. You know, watch anything from Andrew Bourdain, he'll tell you. You know, behind that kitchen, you know, it's it's either Mexican, Latin, or whatever you want to call it. You know, it's it's most of us. Uh, and there's that divide here in the United States of understanding each other. You know, you might know kitchen Spanish, but it's not it's not the same. You know, you, you need to have deeper conversations sometimes. Um, so I was that gap that they needed. Uh, and I would talk to the all the AM cooks, which were mostly Spanish speaking, get them on the same line, uh, get them working uh, in, a, in a in a cohesive way, you know, working as a team, trying to get do as much as we can. Um, and just be considerate about everybody else, you know, because a big thing about kitchens is uh, uh, confidence and uh, working as a team. You need to trust the people around you. Um, it's not a good place when, you know, it's one person against the other or I'm trying to be better than you or, you know, I'm better than you and you, you just don't know. And I'm just going to complain about you all the time. So it, it, having that team on the same page and having people that work together for the same thing is uh it's, it's you know the most beautiful thing you can see in a kitchen you know it's uh we're all working for the same thing and uh it was good man uh, that was a real good team and i was uh it was a sad day when i left because <laughs> they were all they all made me a, a meal right before we left and uh yeah it got very emotional very emotional it sounds like a really great experience for you i mean the it sounds like you got to take a lot of the lessons learned from your career you know apply that with you know this like personal aspect of like being the bridge between like the English speaking team, the Spanish speaking team. It, it, it really sounds like, like a really great way to like put a lot of your life together into one experience, you know, that it sounds like probably not a lot of people who work in restaurants get to have something that good. No, no, it was, uh, it was unique. It was definitely was um, being able to have that communication with both sides is, is huge. Because you get to know what the uh, problems or what the concerns are of everyone, you know, of your chef, of your team, of uh, anything that's going on. You know, not be, not having communication in the kitchen is one of the biggest uh, pitfalls we can have because communication is huge. You know, we, we need to understand each other so that we can do things correctly. You know, somebody doing something incorrectly is not because, you know, they just want to do it that, that way. It's because maybe they didn't get taught you know, the right way to how to do it and making them understand, you know, why we do it is a big part of what, you know, of getting everybody on the same page. Cause uh, just telling somebody, no cook, you know, cook that, put it there, put it over there, put a label. And, you know, you know, that's it. You know, that's not really how it goes. You know, you got to understand and translate what all of these techniques means. I've had people not understand when, you know, what tablespoons are, cups are, or measurements, which of course are something we do here different from, you know, the, the system they might use where they're from. You know, I might tell you, I might say, Hey, give me a liter of something. And they're like, oh, I don't know. Or, or a quart, my, uh, you know, give me a quart of something. It's like, I don't know what that is. You know, what's, what's court. It's like, give me a pint. Whoa. Yeah, I don't know what you're saying. Man. You're just speaking some language. I don't know. So, you know, getting all those things, even techniques, uh, uh, getting all that thing, through is uh is, is, is a great thing because uh, everybody understands each other and having that experience for myself yeah it, it felt like all those things I did before it came 
even my uh my culinary school experience you know like made its way there because uh you you have to be a team leader most of the times in culinary school they divide you by groups and sometimes you have to be a team leader and getting all these people on the same page is the same thing you know you gotta talk with them see what they want to do um you know, formulate a plan, get everything together. And um, it doesn't always go well because you might say something and you know not everybody's on the same page and uh, some people might struggle a little bit more. Um, but it was good. Um, all that experience came afoot, you know, on that job. And it, you know, it helped me a lot. It helped me a lot on understanding what to do, uh, on understanding what I could control and what I can't control. In the kitchen, you, you, you got to know when to let go. Because it's such a huge place and it's it's so many hours that you can't be there all the time, you know. Some of the times the chef and even the uh, cook team would tell me to go home. It's like, hey, you got to go home, man. Been here all day. You know, we're, we're going to be all right without you. But you just want, you know, you want everything to be all right. And at the same time, you're just trying to put them in a position to succeed because you want to see them succeed. And uh, them getting better just makes you, you know. Makes you happier and uh, feel accomplished in so many ways. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Like, and those sound like lessons that people who are in the industry should be taking to heart, right? Like what you've described about you know, communication and getting on the same page, and you know, not just here's how to make the plate. Why do we put it together that way? Like the why yeah. is so important, uh, and and I think you know that sounds like a lesson that everyone should take with them, you know, in this industry. Yeah. The why is the most important. I feel like that's what teaches you uh, about uh, cooking most than anything, you know, and describing to me the ways that you do things uh, from wherever you're from, I can uh, understand them by comparing them to the things I do. You know, it's like I mentioned before about our sofrito is the same thing as mirepoix. You know, it's just two different techniques with different ingredients that do the same thing. One might be just the vegetables and others might be a puree or one's hot, one's cold. Because ours came from uh, Spanish themselves. And then when they came over, they brought the technique. But even when they left, they modified it and turned it into something else. Because now there's included tomato, which wasn't part of the uh, Spanish. <clears throat> by then, by when Christopher Columbus came by, it wasn't part of their sofrito. It was just uh, something they added because they found a lot of depth of flavor and they they... they they add it to theirs, and now it's a cooked version of what we have. You know, it's uh, all these little things. You know, it's uh, you can you can put together a lot of uh, what cooking is by the way people do things. You know, all these techniques are the the, the the one of the biggest things you can take away from a restaurant. You know, it's not a recipe. You know, recipes don't mean much. You know, they're just guidelines. But knowing what you're doing and knowing what, what the end result of something might be is where you start being creative. You know, it's like, oh, what if I do this? What if I use this technique with that technique? <clears throat> what are you, if I change the ingredients and do something else with it? You know, it's, uh, you're not, you know, reinventing no wheels. You're just, you know, trying different uh, flavor profiles and seeing what sticks. And for some people, you know, that's, uh, that's everything, you know, you, you, you just have your spectrum. And uh, with that, you just make all the dishes you're trying to make. So I think now we've come up to the present day, basically, you've, you know, after the milk market, you come to Chicago and now you're, you know, everyone I got about loves you, of course. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I think uh, it hasn't been addressed in the show yet that the, that the restaurant is closing, but um, 
you know, the time that this is going to be coming out, which is like, I think it's be Friday the 11th. It's only going to be like three more weekends left. Um, so I guess uh, one, if you look back on your time at Gadabout, however brief it might have been, only six months, um, you know, how did that experience make you feel? Uh, it was a uh, different experience altogether, man. Uh, I can't say I didn't learn from it. Um, it's been a very good one. Um, like we were talking before, uh, from me moving from Puerto Rico to another state and what I expected to learn, um, it's the same thing from state to state. You know, um, We did the standard over in Colorado was one thing. But since moving to Chicago, it, it's a little bit higher, you know, I want to say. There's uh, mo more detail to uh, to everything else, you know, because even though we do have great places in uh, Colorado, I, I don't want to say there's not good food because there is most definitely some good food. Um, but it's a more elevated uh, cooking over here in Chicago. And it's more attention to detail is what I'm trying to say as well, because uh, it goes more into the cleaning and preserving and uh, just maintaining all that standards, uh, it's more noticeable here in Chicago, for sure. You know, and know, uh, getting that breakdown of a kitchen, getting everything out and cleaning everything and have to have to do deep cleaning and, and uh, having the dates on your food, like, be on par to what they need to be uh, for, you know, sanity, um, what is it, um, safety protocols and all that. So that, that's been huge, you know. No, it's seeing uh, how other people do it uh, at a more elevated uh, pace is uh, is great, you know. And on top of that, you know, the team here at Gadabout has been great. You know? The reason I chose Gadabout was because of how the vibe felt when I went for my stage. Because I don't know if I mentioned to you before, but uh, when I got here to Chicago, I, I was planning on going to that next step, which everybody thinks is uh, fine dining, which is uh, Michelin star. So I did my stage over at Boca, which is great. You know, there's great people, uh, a lot of great cooking. They have their uh, system in, well in place, and they know exactly what they do and how to do it. Um, but I did my stage for Gadabal after that. And uh, I got to say, of course, that Gadabal's food is – I ate there before I ever staged. And there was a crudo dish on the menu um, that really, really was phenomenal. You know, the broth on that crudo was amazing. And I knew that the people working here had had to have good techniques and good background to uh, make such good food. So after having stage and seeing the uh, culture and seeing the uh, the camaraderie, you could say, and the 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 way we just mess around and just had fun and at the same time make great food, it was a no brainer to me because uh, on that day that I was staging at Get About, I got my uh, text message from uh, Chef Doctor over at Boca saying that, uh, you know, he would, he would love to have me over, you know, basically accepted me for the job. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. But at the same time now, I'm no, I'm no longer sure. Cause uh, there's this other place that I feel a lot more comfortable with. And uh, I feel like I can do more of an impact with the people there, you know, cause even though I'm not a chef right now, it doesn't mean I stop wanting to uh, teach people what I know. It's not because I, I want to impart on you what I, what I do so that you do it. It's more that I love sharing techniques because I know that's what will make people better. So I like to share my experience and what I do, how I can make it, it things more efficient, how I try to do things um, so that they, uh, 
you know, you can just gel better, do things uh, more efficiently and, you know, with more patience so that you can enjoy yourself while doing them at the same time, you know, just imparting my knowledge on anybody. I'll do it, you know, as long as somebody will hear, you know, I'll share anything I know because I feel like we should all know how to cook. And I think I speak for a lot of us, especially some of the more, uh, you know, some of us that have just recently gotten into the restaurant industry, you you are a very good mentor. And, uh, you know, it's not lost that you're able to teach us things and provide some insights um, in a way that, you know, it's kind of nice to get it from like another line cook, right? It's, of course, you expect to get it from your sous chef or from your head chef, but yeah. it's something different about during service, the guy next to you being like, hey, lower your flame. Like, hey, like add your sauce later, do something like that. So, you know, it it's not lost. And if I can at least give you that from your time at Gadabout, you definitely left an impact on a bunch of us. Oh, thank you, man. That means actually a lot, you know. Uh, I do try to do those things uh, all the time because it's it's also the type of sous chef I was when I was at the milk market. I used to work the line with them, you know. Uh, of course, I had to do it a bunch of other duties. But I, when I knew you were going to get your ass kicked, I was there. I know that you need that motivation at the same time, you know. Because I needed it when I was uh, working the line, you know. Everything I expected from my sous chef, I wanted to do myself. Because there's no way I can complain about all these things and not do it myself. And uh, uh, having that person right next to you, cheering you, you know, along and uh, telling you it's all going to be all right. It's it's huge, man. That's something everybody should have on the line. Because uh, it makes you better. It makes you understand. It's uh, You got to let go. You just got to let go and uh, focus on the, on the thing I have. Joel, we're we're wrapping up here. Um, you know, you've had a really long career. What are you now? Thirty eight years old. Uh thirty nine, actually. Yeah, thirty nine. God, you're getting older every day. Uh, <laughs> you know, clearly there's a lot that you can impart to people. I guess if you were to give kind of one parting piece of advice for, you know, maybe line cooks that are looking to get to that next level, people interested in being a sous chef, being a leader in the kitchen, what would you say is the most important thing for someone to do? Uh, uh, just listen. Uh, listen, trust, and uh, like let go, man. Yeah, sometimes you just got to listen to the instructions that your uh, either your peers or your sous chef is giving you uh, to complete your task. But at the same time, you understand that... Um, Kitchen is a control chaos, so you just have to let go and only control the things you can. Gets to a point where it seems like it's going to be too much, but if we really get down to it, we're just cooking, you know? We're just making food. We're just making people happy one way or another. It might take a little longer, but if I if I follow my techniques, I follow my advice, and I, you know, I just continue to make things the way I know I, uh, they need to be made, that person will be happy even if they waited a little longer. But, you know, just... Teamwork, man. Teamwork is huge. You know, there's no way you can do this on your own. A kitchen is not a place for uh, a one-man show, you know. Uh, you may have people that are better than you, but they just compliment you. Because at the same time, you need their help to get everything out, you know. There's no way you can do this by yourself. That's... So knowing that you need to, uh, other people to finish your job or just complete it completely, uh, you, you should work on, you know, making good, like, having good uh, experiences and uh, relationships with your coworkers. You know, I'm not asking you to be their best friend. I'm just saying like respect uh, who they are and uh, treat them right. Cause you will going to, you're going to need that person eventually. And uh, happy people are more prone to help you out. So 
if you show that person that you care and that uh, you're here no matter what, you know, they'll they'll show up when it's more most important. For sure. Well, one final question before I let you go. Thanksgiving's around the corner. Are you serving anything good this year? Anything you're excited for on your table? Yeah, actually, my wife and me have been talking about it for a few days now. Um, she's uh, interested in doing a little Cornish. So we might do a roasted Cornish uh, stuffed with a uh, garlicky sweet plantain mash. So at least that's my base. Uh, I'm going to start with that. Um, I might end it up with maybe an herb salad or some something on top, but it has everything there. It has meat. It has uh, starch. So all I got to do is add a little flavor to it. Um, but yeah, we're going to do a little different this year. Uh, I think it's going to be real good. That sounds really good. How all about right, you, Joe? What, what's uh, what's on your uh, table? Uh, honestly, it's not going to be too crazy. I'm hosting for the first time ever. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not fully sticking to the classics. I mean, it's a classic menu. It's going to be turkey, potatoes, stuffing, some vegetables and stuff. But, you know, I do a uh, roasted Brussels sprouts with bacon apples and like a Dijon maple syrup dressing that my parents go crazy for. Um, nice. No, that sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. I think this year, cause it's my first time doing it. I just want to execute, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to get too cute with anything. No, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know how you do your turkey, but one of the things I got from uh, my culinary chef uh, from school was uh, separating the skin from the turkey. You know, like getting your hands in there, you know, you're getting to separate all the skin from the meat and then just stuff two pounds of butter in there, literally underneath the skin and on top of the meat. And that's going to make your chicken super, super, I mean, your turkey, uh, super, super uh, juicy because all that butter just bases on top of it it is a very good technique so just in case you don't mind a little extra butter in there you can just throw that in there i do like some extra butter i might uh i've thought about the compound butter like the compound butter on the turkey i yeah. might i might have to follow yeah. through with that one no that sounds good uh yeah just a little uh, lime zest some herbs and uh yeah some garlic sounds good mm, sounds real good well, Joel, thanks for coming on today. Um, I had a great conversation with you. Um, I hope people can, you know, learn something from your journey and learn something from the advice you had to give. Um, and, you know, I'll see you soon. I think we I think we might be working together this week. Um, but yeah, thank you again for your time. Oh, thank you so much for having me on, man. Uh, we will see each other for sure. Uh, these will be some very interesting three weeks that we have left. Um, I expect to have a lot of fun, you know. Uh, we're just going to get our ass kicked and uh, have a beer afterwards, you know? You got it. Thank you so much, Joe. Thank you. My guest today was Joel Perez. Joel, thanks so much for coming on the show. Glad you could tune into today's episode of the Joe Feed Yourself Podcast. Make sure to tell your friends and family about the show. Subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow me on Instagram at Joe Feed Yourself. And remember what Anthony Bourdain used to say, your body is not a temple, it's an amusement park. Eat something good, and I'll see you soon.